Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. Rabbi shahli sadri wa yassir li amri wa hlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli subhanak la ilmanana illa ma'allamtana subhanak la ilmanana illa ma'allamtana subhanak la ilmanana illa ma'allamtana amma ba'd. I can request the brothers to kind of sit a little bit closer, inshallah. And those in the back so we can come uh, closer, inshallah, like how we used to before. And like uh, every week, I remind myself and all of us that we renew our intentions why we're here. We, we prayed Salat al Maghrib with Jama'ah. We're going to pray Salat al Isha with Jama'ah. Make Nia, you're here waiting till Salat al Isha in the masjid in the state of wudu. Entire duration you're staying here, you're going to be getting the reward of performing Salah. Right? You're, you're here because you want to be in the company of the angels. You're here because you want to be in the company of righteous brothers and sisters. You're here because you want to gain a connection with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and learn about the book of Allah. You're here because you want to build your relationship with Allah Almighty through the most powerful means, which is His, which is his kalam, which is His words. You're here with the niyyah of uh, f- uh, uh, reflecting of our own lives. Take the Quranic example and put our life in front of the Quran and see where does it match. We thank Allah where it doesn't match. We seek forgiveness and we make a niyyah that, Ya Allah, I'm going to change these, these, these specific a- aspects of my life that are not reflective of the teachings of the Qur'an. We are here because we want to learn and propagate it to our family, friends, and the Ummah of Rasulullah So as many niyyat and intentions we make, uh, our rewards will be an increase. Additionally, uh, we all should make niyyat every single time we sit in a dars, a gathering of ilm and dhikr, that Ya Allah, allow me to hear that which I am needed, in need of the most. Allah Azza wa Jal, allow me to uh, uh, be able to get the answers to any of the questions that I may have. Just a little while ago, someone asked me a question of, of marriage. I gave, he said, I need your input on something. I said, I'll give him a 30-second answer. Then I said, come to the tafsir. Oh, what's happening with the tafsir? I said, you'll get your answer. I said, whatever you need to hear, you'll hear it. If you're sincere in your intention, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will definitely make you hear what you need to hear that will give you the ability to distinguish between the right decision and the wrong decision in this big affair of yours. And I'm saying that with conviction. Every single time we come to a dars, if you are going through any type of uh, issue, situation, attend the dars. Pray two rakat salah before you come. Say, Ya Allah, allow me to hear what I need to hear. And this is your, the, the answer will come directly from Allah azza wa through a speaker, through the person who's teaching the dars. You will exactly hear what you need to hear. Try this, and I'm confident you will agree with what I just said. You will hear what you need to hear. So anytime you're, you are, you're, doing, you're confused about some issue, you're doing istikhara, salat al-hajjah, then attend the gathering of ilm and dhikr with firm intention. And inshallah, I'm confident that you'll come to me and say, you know what, this really works. Because I know it works. This is the truth. So last week, I... Um, uh, spend a lot of time on the long verse of the Quran in Al-Muslimin Al-Muslimat, ayah number um, 35. And then I quickly went over 36, 37, 38. Um, and we translated that and went over some of the story of, very briefly the story of Zainab radiallahu anhu and Zayd radiallahu anhu. Um, but I did say that there were certain points that I want to um, uh, go back and, and reflect upon and share with us. So let's do that today, inshallah. Um, 
So going back to the, um, the verse that we read last week, 36, ayah number 36. It's not befitting. It's never befitting for a believing man and a woman. Once Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed for a matter, to have for themselves a contrary choice in their affairs. So it, it just doesn't work. Once you've submitted yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you've said you're a believer, you can't come up and say, well, I think like this. And for whoever disobeys Allah and His Messenger has truly strayed in clear misguidance. So, uh, you have two options. You either, be, you are a believer or you're not a believer. Either you are a believer or you're not a believer. And if a person, like they say, you have a choice of accepting Islam or not. You have a choice. But once you accept that, once you enroll in Islam, then you must follow the rules. There's no compulsion in religion. What does that mean? There's no compulsion in accepting religion. But once an individual accepted it, you must follow. There's no compulsion in this country, alhamdulillah, to sign up for the army. There's no mandatory draft. But if you choose to get yourself drafted, or if you choose to sign up for it, then you must follow the rules. You can't say, well, this is how my mom cooks. This is what I want to have. This is how my dad, you know, raised me. This is how I'm going to do. It doesn't work like that, right? Welcome to the world of, of the army or the marines or whatever the case may be. Who told you to sign up? If you signed up, well, this is what you have to stick. This is what you have to do. So Islam is something. Whoever wishes to believe, he may do so. Whoever wishes to disbelieve, he may do so. Allah says, up to you. Huh. Indeed, we have prepared for the oppressors. Naran, such a fire, whose walls will surround them in the, in the hellfire. And if they beg for water, he says, when they beg for water, hot, boiling, uh, molten brass will be poured upon them. Which will scald and burn their faces. What a horrible drink. And what a terrible place to take shelter or to, to rest and relax. Meaning in a, in a sarcastic manner. Murtafaqa. What a horrible place to relax in, yeah, in hellfire. So the Quran is saying, you have a choice. We're not going to force you to accept Islam. If you don't want to, then don't. But don't think it's, you know, it's going to be a fun ride for the rest of your life. In this dunya, you might have fun. But awaits, awaits in hereafter is not fun. But once a person chooses to accept Islam, then must abide by their rules. My beloved friends, what we see today is that many people are taking Islam, they accepted Islam, and then they want to carve out their own religion. They want to make changes to it. They want to make things acceptable which are not acceptable. They want to make prohibited things permissible. Permissible things prohibited. Want to bring innovations in it. And the answer is, you just can't do that. Right? You just can't, uh, uh, you know, revamp and renovate something that you don't own. Right? This doesn't belong to you. You want to enjoy, enjoy as is. If you have a problem, there's a door. So the same has to be said for Islam. No matter how many sins a person commits, as long as he says, I'm wrong, Islam is, says this is not allowed, but I'm sorry, I've got, you know, unfortunately I've got problems, my nafs is too big, my ego is too strong, my desires are too strong. May Allah forgive me, you know, I will hope one day to change. Alhamdulillah, no matter what the sin is. But when we start saying that, no, I don't want to say I'm a sinner. I don't like the feel. I don't like the idea of calling myself a sinful person. I don't like to be, what? Guilt-tripped. That's what people say. When you speak about tawbah and istighfar, I don't like to be guilt-tripped. I don't like to feel guilty. I don't like to be treated, I don't like to feel like I'm a criminal. Hence, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go change the rules. To say the rules will be a reflection of what I want. 
And now you see today, massive movements that are trying to reinterpret the Quran, re-examine everything. And that apparently for 14, 1500 years, every single thing has been misunderstood, misrepresented. And now it takes scholars of certain type to go and rediscover the true meaning of Islam. And you have this massive liberal movement within the community that is uh, from all over the world that is trying to make Quran explained in a manner that is completely in line with a life filled with desires of today, not of yesterday, today's desires, which are constantly getting updated, which are constantly outdoing yesterday's desires. And they get worse by the day. So this Quran has to be flexible enough to be able to allow this person to say that it's okay, it's alright, everything's fine, you're doing exactly what the Quran says to right? That's why someone said, that, you know this whole idea of, brother, you can't be judgmental. I'm going to speak about this topic from another perspective, inshallah, in a little bit. But let's speak about this aspect of the fact that Islam is not our, is not your sandbox, in your backyard, that you go sit there and make whatever you want. And at the end, you destroy and go, go inside. This is, not your, this is not a sandbox. You can't come and mess around with it. As someone said, uh, one of the scholars, he said, when he heard about someone who said, we need a revival, or we need a re you know, revival in a, in, a, in, a, in, in a wrong sense, trying to bring changes, he is like, the Islam is not your father's house that you're, you inherited and you say, you know what, I need to change the tiles over here, I need to put in a new countertop, I need to put in a new carpet. He said, Islam is not your father's house that you come in and go, come for a renovation here. You, the way you have been given, it's been given to you in an amana, take it or leave it. But don't try to make changes in it. No one said any of us are perfect. I'm, I'm the first person to say, we're well, the worst person. was furthest away from what we're supposed to be doing. But just acknowledge it, that we are sinful and weak. And make niyyah to make tomorrow a better day. Look at how nicely he said. He said, even if you can't sit for after Baghrib because of the dars of tafsir, just make niyyah for you to get the reward. MashaAllah, I made it so easy. Just make niyyah, Ya Allah, I want to sit. But XYZ excuses there. <laughs> right? So inshallah, if you're sincere in your niyyah, you'll still get the reward. So if a person is sincere that he wants to follow Islam, but he's just not able to do it right now, sooner or later, one day Allah will inspire him to be able to, to, to kick, it out, kick his bad habits and bring a change. But if we try to adjust Islam and fix it to our, what, what our desires are, my beloved brothers, then this, this is the people you'll say, Nabi Alayhi will say, Suhqan Suhqa. On the day of judgment, when people will be brought to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, say, "Ya Rasulullah, this is your ummah," and you look at them, you'll say, "Absolutely not!" Right? Who are these people? Right? Uh, the angels will say, "Ya Rasulullah, do not, do not give these people a water to drink from the Holy Kawthar." Why? Indeed, they innovated ihdaf. They innovated, brought innovations in the Deen after you are gone. And today, the whole movement, liberal movement, is all innovation. It's about re-examining every single Quranic verse, tafsir, hadith, and now we've got the whole idea of what? You've heard of making all hadith, khabr ahad, you know, as something which is not acceptable. You know, basically vast majority, rejection of hadith. A huge movement in the world of rejection of hadith. A right? very dangerous movement. Because once you throw out hadith, then you pretty much, the Quran can mean anything to anyone. So we have this idea of that, brother, you know, uh, we have to be inclusive and we have to be understanding and don't be judgmental. These are actually great, great words. I, I believe in all of these things, firmly believe in all of these things. But what do you mean by that? 
don't be judgmental, don't be, you know, be inclusive, etc. If you are saying that a person, as long as he is acknowledging his sins, then, you know, let him and his Lord take care of it. Alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm all for that. But if a person comes and says, no, this is how Islam is. I, I gotta make, you have to make space for me. And this doesn't belong to me. Right? This doesn't belong to me. If it was mine, mashallah. But this belongs to Allah. How can I sit there and make space for something which is not? This is this type of, of, of liberal thought that you come up with. There's no space in Islam for that. You can create your own little sect. You know, do whatever you want. Now hold up. The Ahmadi movement or the Qadiani, Qadiani movement. What's that, what's that, that whole religion? Continuous 95% of the effort is what? To say, we're in the boat. You make your own boat. We can't, there's a million other sects out there. Do what you want all day. No one's going to stop you. Why do you always want to get into our boat? All day, the whole maqsad of your life is just to prove that we're Muslim. When you're not Muslim, <laughs> you're not. Look, we're going to cover these verses you know, in this surah. It's actually the next third verse, but we're not going to get to it today. But the, the seal of the prophets. So if you're going to believe that there's a prophet after Rasulullah I'm sorry, there's no space. We're not being judgmental. We're not being hateful. Who, this is, if, if, if I was allowed to, fine. But this is not my religion. This is the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the fundamental part of it. So either accept it as is, or just choose your own way. So there, that's one extreme, the Qadiani movement. And then you've got the whole liberal thought that comes in and says, no, we have to reinterpret everything. The whole gender issue, the whole, everything else that's related to that, above and beyond that, that's one big, huge musibah there. And everyone is trying to fit it into Islam. So this is what the Qur'an is saying is that once Allah, if, you're, if you choose to be a Muslim, you cannot come with your baggage and to say, I wish to choose this and I'm going to follow this, I'm not going to follow that. You have a right to not accept Islam. No one's going to force you. But once you've accepted it, then there are certain expectations that you must abide by. Like the army or anything else. So this, the Qur'an says it's not possible for a believer, once he's accepted Islam, to, try, to have an opinion that goes against and that goes contrary to the decisions of Allah and His Rasul wasallam. You choose what you want. Once you choose it, then you stand. Stand your ground. So my beloved friends, we're, we, as someone said, the modern Muslim, when, he, when even Dajjal shows up, Allah forbid, Allah protect us from, from uh, ever having to face him. He says, even if people say, but you see this, a true believer will be able to see kafir, kaf, alifara written there, right? Or kaf, kaf, kafara written on his forehead as it comes in the hadith of the Prophet a, a, a believer will be able to see that. Through the nur of iman, he'll be able to see that. So he says the modern, the joke goes that the modern Muslim will say, oh just even though it's kafara written, you never know what's in his heart, you know. You can't be judgmental here. Can't be judgmental. That's the type of mentality we have today. That something is blatantly kufr, blatantly against Islam. And you're telling me that you don't know what's in his heart. We are not supposed to be labeling people disbelievers, by the way. However, we are supposed to say that this aqidah or this belief is un-Islamic. Unorthodox or out of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah's belief. None of us have a kufr stamp. We don't, we're not allowed to stamp kafir on anyone. That's not what we do. We don't stamp anyone as a disbeliever. Who are we to do that? However, the job of the scholars is to say these are beliefs that are un-Islamic. So my beloved friends, if you have anyone who's going through any type of sin, encourage them. Tell them make tawbah. And if he says, I can't, Tell them, okay, at least regard yourself as a sinner. But don't try to say, can you find me a fatwa to say that this is halal? 
Can you find me? Yeah, you can. Nowadays, you go fatwa shopping, you'll definitely find someone to, find, to give what you, what you want. Yeah, they will under, under uh, pressure or with a, with a desire for money or fame, whatever the case may be, you'll find someone who will make changes. And in the name of going with the times. Recently, I was having a conversation with someone. He said, you know, certain individuals are stuck. You know, he was telling me about some issue. He said, you guys are stuck. You know, how, uh, we, we, we're, not, we're not moving forward. And he said, okay, what type of moving forward do you want? I said, I'm getting about two calls a week of, of children, parents of children who are saying that their kids have now become LGBTQ. Okay? This wasn't like that like two years ago. I said, that's going forward. Now I'm, within, within the next few years, we're definitely going to, uh, we're, we're actually, this was actually three years ago. Someone got invited to perform a, a nikah, uh, you know, uh, of a girl to a girl. That's going to happen. This is going to be no. I've been told my Muslim friends, catering businesses, you said you just watch. In the next couple of years, you're going to be getting, you know, all sorts of uh, orders from these type of marriages. Like, really? I'm like, yeah. They will really give it a couple, three years maybe? Two years? Maybe even a year now, the way things are going forward. So w what do you mean get what the times? Is that what you mean to do? Is that what we should do? Is that what we should promote? What is it supposed to be get with the times? What is that supposed to be about? Right? This is uh, deception of shaitan. He's like, oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Oh, he said, well then, then watch what you're saying. Before you just say things of, you know, we're, we're stuck. We're stuck. We, they are definitely old as gold when it comes to the deen. Everything else, renewal, uh, you know, in new, new editions, the newest, latest car, newest, latest phone is better than the oldest one. But in Islam, it's not like that. That is why it's a story goes about certain ulama, real stories. Now, certain ulama, they would go, they would go to the store and they would order, this is called a wajj, this is called a hal. This is not something you're supposed to do. This is a specific type of this mental state or spiritual state. That it's not something that you would necessarily follow. But sometimes people go through these different spiritual states. Do you get what I'm saying? So that spiritual state, he would say, he would go to the bakery and he would say, give me last night's bread. So I want to give you today's fresh bread. He said, no, last night's bread. Because last night's bread is closer to Rasulullah than today's bread. <laughs> okay? That's the intention. I'm not saying you have to go do that. But the point is, that's a spiritual state that certain people have. The love, the old is gold. When it comes to science and medicine and whatnot, innovations are great. When it comes to deen, innovation, whoever innovates something in our deen which doesn't belong there will be pushed back on him, will be rejected. Every innovation is misguidance and every misguidance will eventually lead a person into hellfire. So misguidance and dalala is not only what happens in India and Pakistan and Syria and other parts of the country and the world where you have certain mubtadi'een and people known as Ahlul Bid'ah doing various things. We know that, that's Bid'ah. Whether it's grave worshipping or whatnot. And people write papers and they focus a lot about that. What they don't realize is we have become the center of Bid'ah. Progressive thought is the greatest Bid'ah you can imagine. And no one's talking about that, right? Everyone's focusing on fatawa writing on people worshiping in graves. How many people, grave worshippers you know in this country? In this country, in this masjid, in this area? How many people subscribe to a, a liberal thought? A liberal approach to Islam? Unfortunately, too, too many. That is the bid'ah we're speaking about. The bid'ah that is completely making the deen hollow. That I'm not gonna follow the deen the way it's supposed to be, and I'm gonna make deen instead comply with the way I want it. We ask Allah protection from falling into such type of deviance. 
We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protection for all those people and hifadha and, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide those people who fall into this type of, of deviance. What does the Quran say? Whoever disobeys Allah and his Rasul, he has truly strayed into clear misguidance. What does it mean, clear misguidance? Well, just like the sun is super clear. Similarly, this guidance is complete, misguidance is completely clear. It's like you have this massive sign that says Chicago on this direction. And you have a little sign that says, you know, Indianapolis or something else on one side. And a person, he needs to go to Chicago. This massive 20 foot by 20 foot sign, he misses it and he still goes to the Indianapolis. And then he says, oh, what happened? How did I miss Chicago exit? Such a clear misguidance, such a clear, uh, uh, straying cl into clear misguidance, that how do you, could you have missed that big, bill, big billboard? Meaning, obedience to Allah and His Rasul is so obvious. Allah and His Rasul's power and their wisdom is so obvious. How is it possible that you could miss it? The Quran says, Whoever follows my guidance and the guidance of the Prophets, he will never go astray and will never lead a life of difficulty. Seriously. Shaqawa. Shaqawa is wretchedness. If you, if you follow the deen, you will never be wretched. Even if you are suffering, you lost a child, you lost a spouse, you lost uh, you know, your wealth, your business, you won't be wretched. You will be strong no matter what happens if you follow the guidance of Allah. But if a person does not follow the guidance of Allah, then he will find himself to be in the most wretched state while owning everything. While having everything in his feet, inside in his heart, he will be very upset. My dear friends, let's speak about an issue here of disobedience of Allah. Some people think that my obedience and disobedience and my ability to make choices is like the, as they say, floating of a feather in, 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 in the atmosphere or in the, in the air. It goes the way it goes with the wind. So I sin because God wants me to sin. I don't sin because God doesn't want me to sin. You know, it's not my fault. Whatever is happening is because it was already written. My missing of my prayers, my distance from the masjid, my not opening up the Quran, my not being motivated to find good company, is because Allah willed it such. So my dear friends, this is an incorrect way and an incorrect approach, an incorrect understanding of predestiny and free will. Instead, we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly wants us and demands from us for us to lead a life of obedience and to, uh, to repent from any type of disobedience a person has committed in the past. So what do we say then? We say, كُلُّ شَيْءٍ وَقَعَ أَرَادَهُ اللَّهُ وَكُلُّ شَيْءٍ أَرَادَهُ اللَّهُ وَقَعَ Every single thing that has happened has happened because Allah intended it. And whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intended has happened. Everything that has happened, Allah intended it. And whatever Allah intended has occurred. That's what we say. But we do not say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forced an individual to commit a sin. Because if you say He's forcing them, then what's the purpose of taking them to task? What's the purpose of questioning them? Instead, what we say is that everything in this creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is under His mashi'ah, under His will, under His power. And nothing happens without Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's permission. But then why does Allah do things? Is it because He's for... Why do we, you and I do things? Usually it's because we have a desire to do it. Either because there's a need to do it. Either because we are forced to do it. Either because we don't know any better. None of these things are befitting Allah. That Allah is doing things because He's forced to. Allah is doing it because He desires. Or because he's, you know, He has a lustful desire for something. Or Allah is doing it because He's forced to. Or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing it because He's unaware of the 
consequences of it. Instead, we'll say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does what He does because of a wisdom. Allah is wise and every action of His is filled with wisdom. It's just that we are unaware all the time what the true wisdom is. If you are aware of it, if you come to, if you come to know why that is, Alhamdulillah, great. But if you don't know what it is, then need to ha- you need to have this ultimate trust. And this is such an important thing what I'm telling you for myself and all of us here. I'm sure this is so uh, you know, beneficial and important reminder for myself and all of us here that whatever is happening, you and I have to have this trust that if I get to know the secret behind it, Alhamdulillah. If I don't, I'm still going to be convinced that there's got to be some maslaha, some benefit in the long run. Otherwise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would never do that. I'm not aware of it. But it, there's definitely some benefit in it. And even in the sickness of a sick individual, there's some benefit that I'm just not aware of. What is that? It could be simply as a means of forgiveness of my sins. It could be a means of my status being increased with Him. It could be a means of humbling myself. Right? So even in your sick, you say, what, what wisdom is there? What could there be any good in me losing money? What could there be any benefit in me suffering a divorce? What could there be any benefit in me in, in, in losing my child? Oh, we don't know. And the great example of this is the story of Musa and Khadr in Surah Al-Kahf. Musa and Khadr story, right? I'm sure we all have heard it many times. Three incidents have happened. There's a Nabi who, who is like, I call them like the different departments of how you have in the country. You have the FBI and the CIA. They're both departments of the government. But they don't necessarily communicate with each other. And they have very different parameters which they work with. Certain things that the CIA will do will be completely against normal rules of this country. Right? But if a local police department officer will say, Hey, what are you doing? He'll say, hey, listen man, don't worry about me. Right? I'm reporting to a, the higher authority. You don't have jurisdiction, jurisdiction over me. Your jurisdiction is great, but I don't follow those rules. So you hear you got this interesting connection between Musa and Khadr. They meet. They're both reporting to Allah Azza wa Jal, but from different realms. One is the external realm, one's in the internal realm. One's the alam al-taqween, one's the alam al-tashri'ah. One is the sharia external aspect of instilling or in fulfilling Allah's, Allah's commands. And one is working from behind the scenes. Right? What happens behind the scenes? So Khadr is doing things which Musa salam doesn't understand. Why would you kill a child, an innocent child? Why would you make a hole in a boat of someone who has been so kind to us? Why would you not charge money for rebuilding a wall when such a group of people did not do us any good and they're not even giving us food, at least we'll charge them for our manual labor and buy food from the city, right? So these are the three things that happen on this journey. And Musa salam criticizes and objects to Khadr, why are you doing this? Eventually Khadr said, please part ways, we gotta go. You know, this is not gonna work. You, you, you have to be, uh, you, can't, you gotta go find another madrasa. Like, you know, this is not gonna work. Because uh, you just, you, 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 my rule number one is you don't wanna ask questions. This is normal, normal madrasa, you're supposed to ask questions. Normal schools, you ask. Here in this madrasa, you don't ask. You just quietly listen and obey and follow through. And if you can't do that, then sorry. And why could Musa not do that? Because Musa is coming from a different university background. He's a Nabi. His training is, if you see something wrong, you have to speak up. So he's doing based on his training. He's speaking up. And Khadr's like, no, that training doesn't work over here. You have to leave that training out the door. But no, I can't. That's intrinsic to who I am. So if Musa, being a Kalimullah, the one who speaks to Allah Azza wa Jal, a great prophet, one of the five top prophets, what happens? He's, he's baffled at what Khadr is doing. Even though he's a Nabi of Allah, brothers and sisters, he received revelation. He spoke with Allah. Allah speaks about the whole conversation in the Quran. Such a great prophet. When angel Malik al-Maut comes to take his 
soul. He slaps him. Comes in hadith of Muslim. He slaps him. Because the angel of death came in the form of a human. And he says, he slaps him and an eyeball came out. Because remember, he's coming in a human form, so now human attributes apply. So uh, he goes back to Allah. Ya Allah, who did you send me to? What kind of person is this? He slapped me and got my eyeball out. What is this? That's Musa for you, alayhi salam. But Musa salam does not know the answer to these things. Why is Khadr doing this? And then eventually Khadr says, if you want, I'll tell you the story. Behind it. I will tell you about the interpretation of all the things you didn't have patience to be with. You didn't have the patience to stay quiet. I will now inform you about what happened. So here is a top-notch Nabi who within one a manner of like an hour or two, it comes across three incidents which he is not aware and doesn't understand the wisdom behind it. How do you expect to understand the wisdom of what happens in your life? What kind of arrogance is this? That it makes sense, like, no, I must know why this happened. Otherwise, that's it, I'm done with Allah. I'm done with Islam. Why did this happen to me? I'm trying so hard, why does this happen to me? My dear friends, there's a reason you are makhluk and Allah is khaliq. There's a reason you are the slave and the servant and Allah is a creator. Let's not switch roles. We can switch roles. If you expect to know the answer to everything, and if you expect to have answers to everything, then you are acting as though you are divine. You're not divine. You're not divine. Nor am I. None of us are. لا يسألوا عما يفعل Allah is not asked about what He does. وهم يسألون While everyone else will be asked, can be asked. So when a person humbles himself and he says, I don't know the wisdom, but there must be some, some hikmah there. Of course there has to be some hikmah. Why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do something? Don't our parents, even though they're 20 year difference only between us and them. That's it. They're as human as we are. They, they err as much as we do. Right? We make errors as much as our children do. Just a 20 year difference. How many times we tell them, hey, you don't understand this. You just don't understand it. Just five years, nay, even just two years, allows a person to understand things that a younger, two year old younger won't understand it. One year of education will make you understand something that another one doesn't. You, take, you start studying you know, uh, pre-med, first year of college, right? Already in your basic uh, uh, classes of the first year, you already know something that maybe your sibling doesn't know, or who's, who's ahead of you in studies, but not, has not taken a pre-med track. So if this is the difference between us as creation, imagine the difference between the Creator and us. How can we ever possibly say we know the answers? So understand that you will not know all the answers in your life. Just learn how to submit to it and say, just like I think that my mom and dad are, have the, my best interest at heart. My teachers have the best interest at heart. Right? And that's why they're saying things, even though I don't understand the wisdom, we have to say that for Allah Azza wa Jal. That Allah Azza wa Jal loves me. Allah cares for me. Allah loves me. And why would He do something to destroy my life? My dear friends, we have to have this repeated conversation with ourselves. Internal self-talk. What's that self-talk? The self-talk is Allah loves me. We have to tell ourselves because we, we don't hear that often. We don't hear this. We don't tell ourselves this often. That I am the beloved of Allah. Allah loves me. And Allah genuinely, if He did not want, if He didn't love me, would never have given me Islam. Never. The fact that you're listening to this right now, wherever you may be in the world, as a believer, and even if you're not a believer and listening to this, the fact that Allah allows you to listen to what I'm saying means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves you. If He didn't love you, He would never allow you to listen to the tafsir of the Qur'an. One of the, Imam Muhammad, if I'm not mistaken, rahimahullah, if I remember correctly, when he passed away, someone saw him in his dream, he said, how did, Allah, how did you fare with Allah? And he said, Allah Azza wa Jal forgave me immediately. And then Allah Azza wa Jal 
said that, oh, if I, if I did not want to forgive you, I would have never given you my knowledge. The fact that I gave you knowledge was a clear sign that I was intending to forgive you. Is that right, Imam Muhammad? If I remember correctly. Right? So this, this is the, yani, the reality is that we need to tell ourselves this story. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves us. It's not fake, it's real. You know how moms and dads tell their kids, hey, yo, listen, you know Baba got upset at you, but you know he really loves you. Dad will say to the daughter or the son, your mom got upset, but you know she, really, she does this out of love for you. We always have to do this, you know, this little discussions at home. When, who's going to discuss Allah with our kids? To say, truly, you know what, there's, as much as I love you, there's the one who loves you more, and that's Allah. As much as your mom loves you, she stays awake all night for you, all this, 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 this. But guess who loves you more? Allah. That conversation is not happening at home. Hence, the true love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the sense that Allah is watching me, loves me, cares for me. Allahu hadhiri, Allahu nadhiri, Allahu ma'i. Allah is with me. Allah is present with me. Allah is looking at me. That's not happening. So now a person begins to start having issues with Allah azza wa jalla. Why does the Quran in Islam say this about LGBTQ? Why does it say about this about gender? Why does it say about, uh, about women's rights? Why does it say about animals' rights? Why does it say this about children's rights? Fulan, fulan. Why are you, why are you so pessimistic and, and you know, judgmental about Allah? You say everyone's judgmental about you. You're the biggest judgmental against Allah. That's what the Quran says. What has deceived you regarding your generous and kind Lord? Who told you something about me? Who's saying, who's bad mouthing Allah? And that you, fall, you fell for that. And you actually think Allah's out to destroy you. Allah's out there to ruin your life. Where did you, Allah is asking you and I. Allah is asking you and I. Ya yu insan Oh human being. What has deceived you about your generous Lord? About your kind loving Lord? So we need to reintroduce Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to ourselves and to our families. People always say, some of the brothers who have this enlightenment, they say, oh man, you know what, we, have, we want to do more interfaith programs. We've got to bring the non-Muslims to the masjid. We've got to show them what Islam is about. I said, that's great. But how about we show Islam to our kids first? How about we reintroduce Islam to our youth first? Like no one's getting it. Recently I, I visited a, a community. They said there's a board meeting is going on. All the people are above 60s in the board meeting. 50. And I said, What's up? I don't know what's your agenda. I just happened to walk up, you know, in, in through your board meeting. But I said, please, you know, you have to make sure that this generation is not going to last very long. Where are your children? Oh, yeah, that's very true. Like, no, that should be agenda one and agenda la first agenda and last agenda item. That if your son and my son as board members are not in the masjid, then forget about the community. Right? We're already serving here. We're doing so much effort, spending so much money, resurfacing the parking lot, cleaning, adding a new chandelier, all kinds of other things. But if our children are not in the house of Allah, right now while you're alive, what makes you think after you're dead they're going to show up? It's just not going to work. Once I was given a khutbah in a community, and I was speaking about people leaving Islam, towards the end of it. I always speak about this in all my talks when I travel, at the end of the last couple of minutes. And there was, a, there was a brother who ended up coming very late at the end of the talk, and the end of the khutbah, and he was standing, because there's no space. After Salat al-Jumma, later on that night, he got my number from someone and messaged me. And he said, I'm the brother who came very late, you saw me, you probably saw me, I was standing, because there's no space to sit. And I said, yeah, I do remember that. I, you know, and he said, I want to share my story with you, if we can meet. My father is the one who built the masjid. And his name is there, there's a plaque on his name at the front. He is the founder, builder of this masjid. He passed away. 
And when you talk about people leaving the fold of Islam, that's exactly me. That's me right there. The only reason I show up once a week for Friday for a few minutes is because I know if my dad was alive, he would like to have seen me here. So just to, you know, immor uh, just to be kind to my dad's soul, I show up for a couple minutes on Fridays. But besides, I don't believe in any of this. Subhanallah. Real story from America. I'm not talking about South America. I'm talking about one of these, you know, states that I've traveled in. How many of these stories are happening continuously in our own state, in our own communities? So we have to reintroduce Islam to our own children. And you started off with introducing who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. To say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is Rahman, He's Rahim. He is loving, He's caring. So if a person finds himself committing sin, my dear friends, it is not appropriate to say, I'm forced to do this. Instead we say that I am supposed to lead a life free of sin, but I have fallen to my nafs and shaitan. And inshallah, I hope and I plan to come back. In order for us to come back, because we're, we're speaking to a group of sinners right now. All of us who are listening are a group of sinners, are we not? Every single son of Adam, as the hadith mentions, is a sinner. Not just a small sinner, a very big sinner. Every one of us is a sinner. So we can safely say that we're speaking to a group of sinners. While the speaker is a sinner, and the audience is sinners. What does, the, what does happen? That's all we have to acknowledge. Acknowledge our feebleness in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As soon as you acknowledge your feebleness, and we get rid of the attitude of, I don't want to be feeling guilty, right? That, that's the whole problem. So, how shaitan khabif, Allahu Akbar, may Allah protect us from the evil plotting of shaitan. Person sins, he sins and sins and sins. And many of the youth here will understand and relate to what I'm saying. No matter how many sins you, you commit or I commit, you always have to have hope that one day I'm going to turn around and I, I don't sin because I don't care about Allah or I'm not afraid of Allah or I am uh, unashamed of Allah. I sin because I'm just addicted to this sin. And I feel guilty about it. But I am, I'm hopeful that one day I will change. Meaning we're not brazen sinners. If you brazenly sin and you don't care about it and you say do whatever you want, then that's kufr. That's disbelief. So what shaitan sometimes he pushes into sin. And, sin. and then what happens is that when we come back, we feel guilty about what we're doing. And the fact that you feel guilty about your sin is the best gift Allah could give you. Remember this. The fact that you feel guilty about sin is a sign of what? Iman. The Prophet said, when your good deeds make you happy, and when your sin makes you upset, you're a believer. When your good deeds make you happy, and when your sins make you upset, you're a believer. That's a sign of belief. So when someone says, I'm really being hard on myself, I feel guilty, I did this, 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 this. Alhamdulillah, that means you're alive. Your iman is alive. But then look at how shaitan says, and again, I'm sharing stories of individuals who reached out to me, say, how come everyone in college sins? This? And I sin too because I'm in the dorm and I do what everyone else does. Then I come back and all of these people, they snore away. They, have, they go to sleep, a deep sleep. And I'm sitting there looking at the mirror and, and looking, at, looking at the ceiling in my room and saying, man, what did I do? And I feel guilty over what I've, what I've, how I've spent the day, the night. And he says, this guilt I have is not fair because everyone else is sleeping while I'm sleeping. I can't fall asleep over because of my guilt conscious. So I said, mashallah, that's great. If you could just do that every night, you're in good shape. Eventually get out of it one day. But he says, no, I don't like this feeling of guilt. That's why he just said, 
the heck with all of this? I enjoy that sleep. I want to be able to go to sleep, you know, uh, uh, stress-free. And so I've told myself that I'm just like them. I'm no longer a believer. I'm no longer a Muslim. I'm no longer a theist. That's the easiest thing. As soon as I can take the shackles of Islam off, then I can do whatever I want like they do, and I don't have to even have a feeling of guilt. Subhanallah. It, look at how shaitan did trick this individual. If he, no matter what he did, if he just stayed with that state, to say, no matter, yeah, I'm a sinner, but there's a massive difference between me and them. The difference is, I can't fall asleep feeling guilty and they're sleeping. That's the difference. So even though we're doing the same sin, but we're still different. I remember, I think, Sheikh Hamza, Yusuf, I think, mentioned this story. If I'm not mistaken, one of his talks some long ago, I heard of a, of a lady who was, who was a flight attendant. And, uh, and uh, she was in, 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 in uh, you know, some, struck up some conversation. And she said, oh, you're Sheikh Fulan. You know, and she's like, I'm a Muslim too. It doesn't look like it, maybe the way I'm dressed or whatnot. But I'm a Muslim and this and that. And, and fortunately, this airline I have to serve alcohol to and things of that sort. And I don't know how the, whatever the conversation, but one thing she said, she said, as a, as, a, as a Muslim, I feel so guilty for my job. So I make, I make a point when customers ask for alcohol, I serve it with my left hand. Right? That's powerful. That really is powerful. Because really that's a glimmer of iman in her heart. Not even glimmer, a more than that. The fact that she's feeling so guilty about it, you have no idea what her status may be. Maybe we don't know her specific circumstances. Right? That the fact that a person feels guilty every single day going to, to sin. Even though they're sinning, one day actually may become the means of their ultimate tawbah. And for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opening up doors for them. And that's why the ulama have said that one who drinks or liquor, wine, or something haram, and says, Bismillah, then he's a kafir, disbeliever. Because now you're making fun of the deen. Now you're taking Bismillah and saying it. If a person is serving alcohol and saying, I will be lehsalaji, may Allah forgive me, and is doing it, that's a sign of iman. And if a person is on the opposite saying Bismillah and doing it, that means to make a mockery of deen. So what happens with shaitan, how he plays tricks with us? He says that you don't feel guilty and why don't you just give up on Islam? So the, the answer to that, my beloved friends, is that don't ever fall into that trap. No matter whatever situation we may be in, always tell ourselves that I am going to get out of this mess soon, one day, and just feel guilty about it. So there are two types of conditions that we have. One is called halatul tawfiq, one is called halatul khivlan. Tawfiq is when Allah allows you to do things. Khivlan is when Allah forsakes you. So if a person entrusts himself to Allah, then Allah will give him tawfiq. And a person takes charge of his life himself. And he says, I don't need Allah. I got it under control. I can stay away from sin. I can control my desires. I can control myself. Then this is going to be called halatul khidlan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forsake him and leave him to himself. And that's why there's a beautiful dua of Rasulullah Allahumma la takin li ila nafsi tarfatain. Oh Allah, do not leave me to myself even for a blink of an eye. Don't leave me to myself. I need full control from you. I need full mentorship, companionship, ownership, supervising at all times. I always have to be under your supervision. Allah mahrusni bi'aynikallati la tanam. Oh Allah, guard me with those eyes of yours that never sleep. Right? Guard me with those eyes of yours that never sleep. Oh Allah, do not, uh, do not forsake me and, and throw me to myself. Why? For indeed, if you leave me to myself, 
If you do so, then I will end up, who am I? You will end up leaving me to weakness and exposing myself to sin. That's who I am. That's the origin, origin of who we are, our sinful people. So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not save us, then we will never be able to stay free from sin. So this is shirk, a type of shirk. What is a type of shirk? The type of shirk is when a person trusts himself and says, I'm okay. I don't need to worry. If you are, if the true muwahid, a true believer, is always worried about his state of his iman. Always worried about falling into sin. And that's where la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah comes in. There is no power to keep me away from sin. No strength to motivate me to do good. Except for the power and strength that comes from Allah. That's what that means. There's no power to keep me away. La hawla anil ma'asiyah. Wa la quwwa ala ta'a illa musta'inan billah. No power to keep me away from sin. No, no, in, in no power to keep me steadfast on deen except for the power and strength that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're wondering where am I getting, where, where is this, the tafsir of? This is all the tafsir of Whoever disobeys Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his prophet, he will has gone into clear error. That's what we're speaking about. Where does this person, where, where, how does a person end up sinning? Well, one of the major reasons why people start end up sinning is because they start trusting themselves. Stop trusting yourself. Ever. Nowhere. You know this whole idea of, of gender interaction. People say, it's okay, man. Why are you thinking that everyone is a pervert? What is that? That is actually trusting yourself. And that's exactly the type of people who fall into sin. As soon as you put your guard down and you say, okay, it's okay. We, I'm, we're all brothers and sisters. No one's got evil thoughts. No one, nothing bad is going to happen. When you have that type of attitude, rem, that's exactly when things happen. Why you trust yourself? There's, you know, this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created men and women as, as opposites that are automatically like opposite ends of a magnet that are attracted to each other. So this is what exactly what happens. There's supposed to be attraction. Why are you denying you know, laws of nature and to say it's not going to happen? So that's what trusting yourself and mistakes happen. I'm going to share with you a beautiful statement of Abdullah Abbas radiallahu anhu. He says, Inna lil fil wajh. He says, indeed, a good deed brings a glow to the face. A good deed brings glow to the face. This is not the glow that comes from fair and lo lovely cream. Okay, This is different. This is a glow that comes from, uh, from uh, good deeds. Number two, It brings light to the heart. It brings a strength to the body. Good deeds bring Abundance and sustenance. And it will bring love for you in the hearts of Allah's creation. These are the gifts of doing good deeds. Beauty on the face, nur in the heart, strength in the body, abundance of sustenance, love in the hearts of the creation. And indeed, an evil sin leaves a mark of darkness over the face. A darkness in the heart. Constraint in a person's sustenance. Weakness in a person's body. Especially spiritual weakness where a person does not have the ability to stand up and pray. Stand up and read Quran. That's what he's talking about. Weakness in the body. And hatred in the hearts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation. Okay, another beautiful uh, take on this that maybe will be a benefit to us. Is sometimes a person looks at sinners as lowly people. 
He says, look at this guy. You heard this one? You heard that one? I can't believe they would do something like that. So what happens then Allah makes you slip. And when you slip and fall into the ditch like the rest, then you start understanding what other people are going through. And you realize no one actually wants to be in the ditch. No one actually wants to be in the ditch. It's not really enjoyable there. Who wants to be a crack addict? Who enjoys a life of being a heroin addict? Ask anyone who's, a, Allah forbid, a heroin addict. It's horrible. Yes, they're, they're involved in that. But wallahi, they, if they wish, if there was a press of a button that you could make them lose that desire, they, wouldn't, they would press it in a million times in a, in a second. What can we do? They got stuck in that state. Similarly, people are stuck in a state of sin. And sin doesn't give you enjoyment. But they're stuck, they're addicted to it. So the way we look at a heroin addict and we feel sorry for them, similarly we must feel empathetic towards sinners. And sometimes it takes for us to sin to understand what sinners are going through. To understand that we must have mercy to those who are sinning. And Ibn Atallah al-Iskandari rahimahumullah mentioned something beautiful. He says, I spoke about a lot of this in Jummah this Friday if you get a chance, you know, subhanAllah. Uh, you know, it was such a beautiful topic. I really need to speak about this again. It's just the relationship we have to have with sinners. Such an amazing, amazing topic. Right, subhanAllah. That's, uh, so Ibn Atallah Iskandari rahimahullah, he says, he said, sometimes there are sins. There are certain sins that will create within you such humility and humbleness that far supersedes that obedience of Allah that will create arrogance within a person. Okay? Baaz dafa insan aisa guna kar bethta hai jiske zariye se apne andar aisi tawazo peda ho jati hai. In kisari aajizi ke wo kai guna us neki se behter hai jiske zariye se takabbur aur taraf ho peda hota hai insan ke andar. Ghamand ke me neku. Subhanallah. What powerful statement this is. Sometimes a person sins and it creates such humility and humbleness within a person that it far supersedes the arrogance that comes with good deeds at times. Isn't that amazing? It should change the way we look at ourselves and others. It should change the way if you're in a state of doing good deeds, this should remind you. If you're in a state of in sin, this should remind you. That subhanAllah, maybe this is the reason why Allah brought me to the sin to, bring, to make me humble. To create within me this. Allah says in the Quran, Surah An-Nisa, كَذَلِكَ كُنْتُمْ مِنْ قَبْلُ فَمَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكُمْ فَتَبَيَّنُوا This is how you were sinners before, then Allah showered His grace upon you, فَتَبَيَّنُوا So wait, يعني, O Rasulullah do not give up on the tawbah of these sinners. They were sinful, uh, people were sinful, Allah looked at them with the eyes of mercy and they turned around. So Ya Rasulullah, you should not give up you should not give up on the ummah and certain people. Keep on working hard and one day Allah Azza wa Jal, inshallah, will bring them back. Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu. Okay? These, this is, these are the social issues we're suffering with right now. Wallahi. How we treat sinners, meaning how we treat our own sons and daughters who are in sin. How we treat fellow you know, people who are, in, who are in sin. Because of the mistakes you and I have made, the masjid has become a place clickish, where a certain group of people come. The masjid has now become a place where I have heard this myself and it hurts me so much. 
Well, like, no, man, me? How can I come to the masjid? I, I was driving by the masjid one day, and I, was, I didn't have a kufi, so that's why I didn't come in. I was wearing jeans, so I didn't come in. What is that supposed to mean? Who told you that? Where does that say written? SubhanAllah. Or I haven't prayed for so many days, that's why I didn't come. I didn't, yeah, I was like this. This is really scary. And not to say that any of you have actively done something like that, but shaitan is playing this type of story for the people out there. That the masjid is specifically for a certain group of people who pray every day. It's not a place for me. So we have to actively work against this. You have to have, find people who never prayed in 30 years. And you got to bring them to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I don't know if I shared this story here. Maybe I did some weeks ago. But every single day, mashallah, every single week we have a new bunch. Huh? New, new uh, uh, audience, subhanAllah. The, one of the ulama of Azhar, he was sharing a story. He said in the 60s, he was one day in Egypt and there was a jama'ah from Pakistan that came. He had never seen this group of people, what are they doing. And he said they went around and they, they said we are, we, they went around the streets of outside the masjid and they started inviting people, talking to them about Allah and Rasul, bring them to the masjid. And he was a student at that time. He thought this was very weird. We haven't seen this in Egypt. People inviting people to the masjid. This is a Muslim country, but unfortunately no one does this. Like we haven't seen this. So eventually, time came for Maghrib or Isha, and these brothers, they dragged one guy in. He said, when the people looked at him, they, they said, what? Why are you bringing this guy over here? He's the famous drunkard of the street. Like you have these specific beggars and druggies that are in specific intersections. So this was a drunkard guy on the street. They said, why? And everyone started saying, no, pff, please, look at how he's smelling. Look at how he's stinking. And everyone was backing away from him. The imam... He was knowledgeable, alhamdulillah. He knew, he understood. So he, he, like how, he said, okay, fine, 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 fine. He had, to, he had to balance the people's emotions who don't know anything. And then he had to respect the jama'ah that brought this individual and had to respect the individual. So he told the brothers, okay, you all stay in the back. And he brought him close to the imam. He said, I'll, I'll keep him next to me. Wash up, whatever he could. And subhanAllah, he said, welcome. The jama'ah brought him to the masjid, the drunkard. He came. Time for Salat al-Maghrib came. He, I mean, he knew Masala. Salat al-Maghrib took place, or Isha. He prayed Salah with him. And subhanAllah, he was crying, he was emotional, whatnot. After Salah, they look, and subhanAllah, he did not lift his head from sujood. He had passed away in that sajda. Passed away in that first sajda of that Salah. La ilaha He says, ever since then, I realized... What, what is this all effort about? And what's it about? The benefit of bringing people to Allah. It was already written for him, Jannah. It was already written for him to die as tawbah, as in the state of sujood. But how Allah used these individuals to get the commission on it. So we, can, we need to always, always talk to people. Never write off anyone. Always say, by the masjid is yours. This is your place. You need to come anytime, anywhere, all the time. This place is yours. No matter what the state is, alhamdulillah, come and benefit. I, when I was studying abroad in South Africa, there were, there were certain students who were very passionate about the ummah. They were very empathetic towards the ummah. They had love for the ummah. They were students of knowledge. They were not ulama. They were madrasa students. But they cared for the ummah more than fathers care for their sons. So on Sundays, the day that was off, they would take a bucket, soap, and shirts, and towel. And they would walk sometimes 30 minutes, and if they were able to borrow someone's bike, they would bike up this hill, very high hill, really hard incline, and they would go there. And there would be a group of locals, local 
laborers that had come from neighboring countries, from Muslim neighboring countries, laborers, who were living in the most pitiful, pitiful conditions. They were day, they were day laborers. They would save their money and send it back to their own home country. They were all Muslim. And they would go there, and they would say, with such love and muhabba, they would call out to each one. They knew each one by name. Musa, most of them would have prophets' names. Musa, Isa, Harun, come, come, come. And they would come. Oh, you're here again. Yes, we came here. We're going to do our weekly salat together. Half of them, all of them would say, I'm not, I don't have wudu. It's okay, that's why we're here. Let's turn on the tap, you do wudu. All right. Others would say, oh, I'm in the state of, they knew this mas'ala, that if certain things happened, then you're, you're in the state of janaba, hadath akbar, right? Major impurity. Unfortunately, none of them have their wives there, but you know how it is. So he said, no, we can't pray. So they'd be equipped with a bucket, soap, towel, everything. He said, we're here. We're, we're not leaving until you take your shower. And inshallah, we'll get you to pray. So they would sit there from Asr to Maghrib, sometimes bring some food with them, if they could bring it with them, and sit and have this whole group of, of laborers perform their Salatul Asr, and then give a short talk, teach them how to do wudu and ghusl, and say, inshallah, you know, I'll see you next week. These are madrasa students who would use their free time to go do that. And I remember once in our final year of hadith, our principal, one day in the middle of class, you know, he became emotional. And he said, I don't know if Allah will reward us for teaching hadith in this madrasa or will punish us for all those who are around the madrasa who are not practicing the deen and we're not doing much about them. Mulana Shabir. You know, he became very emotional. He said, what's happening? So imagine you and I living in, in Lombard, Villa Park, Bartlett, you know, Naperville, wherever you come from. How many thousands of Muslims are on your street in your neighborhood? What's the condition of them? How many thousands are in the apartments near, near us? Who's going to worry about them? Right, who's going to do anything about that? So it's easy to say, yeah, they, they don't come to prayer, man. Leave them. That's not the attitude of a Muslim. So look at it, Ibn Abdullah bin Umar, Umar the Khalifa. He says, one day he found someone was not present in his dars. Look at the Amir al-Mu'mineen. Always looking who's here, who's not here. He saw one person was not there. He was told, Amir al-Mu'mineen, leave him. This man has become a drunkard. He's become a drunkard. So if Nabi Umar anhu, he asked his scribe to come. And he said, I want you to write a letter for me. The scribe came. And what was the letter? Min Umar al-Khattab ila fulan. From Umar to so and so. Salamun alayk. May the peace be upon you. Fa'inni ahmadu ilayka Allah alladhi la ilaha illahu ghafir al-dham wa qabil al-tawb. Shadeed al-iqab dhittaw la ilaha illahu ilayhi al-masir. I praise that Allah in front of you who is none worthy of worship besides him. The forgiver of sins the acceptor of repentance, and at the same time, the one who has ultimate control over each of his creation, and when he comes to punishing, he is harsh in his punishment. There's both sides of the coin. There's none worthy of worship besides him. To him is the ultimate return. And then he sent this letter, ثُمَّ دعا, And then he made dua for him. وَأَمَّنَ مَنْ عِنْدَهُ And all of those who were present said, Amin To the dua of Amir al-Mu'mineen for this drunkard. And then they all prayed, They all made dua that Allah turn his heart. And Allah grant him the ability to repent. When the letter arrived at the man's door, He began to read it and began to say, Allah is a forgiver of sins. Allah has promised me to forgive me. 
and he's the acceptor of repentance, and at the same time, the one who is harsh in his punishment. Indeed, Allah has warned me of his punishment. What does tawl mean? A lot of blessings. He's the one who has a lot of blessings. He kept on repeating these verses. These verses are the opening verses of Surah Al-Mu'min, or known as Surah Al-Ghafir as well, in the 24th Jews of the Qur'an. He kept on repeating it, and he began to cry. And then he gave up drinking. And when his affair reached Umar he said, This is how you're supposed to treat those who have fallen into sin. This is how you're supposed to treat. When any of you have seen a, friend, a brother of yours who has slipped, That make dua for him, support him, ask Allah to accept his repentance, and do not become the assistance of shaitan against him. So by not welcoming him, by not working on him, by giving up on him, we are now becoming shaitan's assistant against him. My beloved friends, these, mashallah, 50 of you who are sitting here listening, and those who are listening online, I want you to take this to your heart. There's so many of your and I, our cousins, our friends, our neighborhood friends, our childhood friends from school, who have fallen far, far, far away from the deen. Whose job is that to reach out to them? Who's going to do that if you don't do that? Please, I request you to please message them, call them, right? Meet up for a tea, meet up for coffee, whatnot and bring them to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Just tell them to come for one salat al-maghrib. Say, I haven't prayed for years. He said, don't worry. If you don't pray, just sit. Just sit. Sit in the lobby. Sit in the courtyard and listen. Right? Just come and listen to the Qur'an being recited in salah. You never know what action of any of us may become a means of subhanAllah softening their hearts. But if you leave them and to say, oh, they're, not, they're unmasked, as they say nowadays, who's going to mask them again? That's your job. And if you, if you worry about them, then Allah Azza wa Jal will take care of you as well. SubhanAllah. So this is a, a, a huge, long discussion I, that we spent, alhamdulillah, today's dars on. On the importance of, of understanding where sin comes from. And it comes from trusting yourself. Trust only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And do not try to reinvent the deen. Accept whatever Allah has asked us to do. Don't ever give excuses for your sin to say, ah, this is what it is. Just say, I'm a sinner. That's it. Done deal. Done deal. Just say, I'm a, I, I'm a sinner. That's who I am. And one day I, I will definitely repent. I'm not going to say that I'm right. I'm going to say I'm wrong. I'm going to be. I'm going to be honest about that. The story, um, the, the, the Quran says of Zainab and, and, uh, and uh, the, the reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said you don't have a choice to make a decision once Allah and His Rasul decided it is in the story of Zainab. Allah Azza wa Jal decided for you to get married to Zayd. I talked about this last week. You have to do it. Now Allah decided for you to divorce her. Divorce him. I mean, she, you need to divorce her, O oh Zayd. And you got to do it. And now Allah wants Rasulullah to marry her. You have to do it. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says there's the one, the only one you have to worry about is Allah. Don't worry about impressing anyone else. Don't worry about, uh, don't worry about fear, being afraid of anyone. This is something that we have to ask Allah for. The ability to not be afraid of upsetting people when we do things according to the deen. You are definitely going to upset people when you follow Islam. That's just given. And who are you going to upset? Sometimes your own parents. Sometimes your own siblings. Sometimes your own spouse. Some, sometimes your own children. But if you remain firm and you say, Ya Allah... I desire to impress you and make you happy. 
please change the hearts of all of these people as well so that they don't get upset at me and instead they understand where I'm coming from. Then Allah will make that happen too one day. It may take some time. But if you just give in and you say, forget it. I, can't si- I cannot stand societal pressure, family pressure. And hence I have to do what people want me to do. Then it's not going to work. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, It is no offense at all for the Prophet to do what good has sanctioned for him. Meaning, the fact that Rasulullah married Zainab, this is not offensive, this is not mistake, this is now problem. Ya Rasulullah, relax. What you did was not wrong. What he did was very hard for him because it was against the societal uh, custom. And now for the next thousands of years, everyone's going to read about this story because it's in the Qur'an. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, what you did was not wrong. And this is a very important point. If you know what you're doing is according to the sharia, then don't worry about it. Even if it's something wrong. Today, and this is a crazy, crazy uh, thing I'm going to say right now. Please forgive me if I'm upsetting you. But I'm, wanna, I, I, I'm just trying to say, there's people who are committing zina left and right. And no one has an issue with that. And if a person marries someone, for example, who is not part of a certain ex, you know, group of people they expect them to get married to, or marries outside of the culture, or marries someone who is much lower than them in socioeconomic status, marries someone from a different community, people get upset at them. Someone who marries uh, uh, you know, just someone that the family dis- disapproves of, or, 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 or whatever the case may be. But he does it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everyone's, got, everyone's up in arms about it. But all this, he says, bye. I'm, I'm, t- I'm, gonna ki- I'm committing sins every day. I want to get out of this. That's why I want to get married. People don't understand that. A lot of people will say so-and-so got married you know, after her, his wife passed away or her husband passed away. They got married again. Can't believe they could have done that. What are you talking about? They could have done that. Right? It may seem awkward to you culturally. What would you like? Would you prefer that that person would be committing sin? Right? That's the, what you're speaking about. So culture sometimes is creates problems. Someone doesn't have any children. And now he wants to get married to a second wife. Islamically, there's nothing wrong with that, right? With the, we should obviously work it out, try to make a, 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 or adopt a child, whatever the case may be. But subhanAllah, sometimes which things are, is sharia says are halal, everyone is up in arms with, against. But what sharia says is completely incorrect, which is namely fornicating and adultery and committing zina of the eye and everything else. You know, we're quiet about that. How can a person get married when they're 21 and 22? This is unacceptable. But that's some, by the time he's 25, he has done tons of sin. We don't have an issue with that. This is the norm. I'm telling you, the norm of society is, the norm of society is by the time they're, you know, there's high schoolers sitting here. How, if you're a high schooler, you're, 19, you're 16, how many people in your, in your high school class have, have subhanAllah, have not, have not you know, committed zina? Probably zero besides yourself. That's what it is. Right? It's, it's, it's just such an awkward environment. Everyone is committing sin. So moms and dads need to understand that. Forget what What people going to say if I get my, my son married at 18? If I get my daughter married at 19? What's, forget about people. You have to look at what's Islamically correct. Do you want to preserve and protect your child's uh, iman and chastity or not? And people, leave them. Everyone's going into their grave separately. As long as you know your son's grave is protected from snakes and scorpions, that's what you should be worried about. Not what, what people are saying. And this whole idea, oh, my older, I have, he has three daughters, I have three daughters and then my son. Or oh, I have one daughter. You see? This is also complete, complete, we have to break these cultural practices. 
The man is fallen into sin. He's attracted to someone. He wants to get married to her. He can't. He has to wait for another three years until his sisters, they first find a spouse. They're also rejecting every guy who comes. So whenever they find someone, his shoe size is too big, his ring size is too small. For that, ten things they have to say. And after that, eventually when they find someone, we don't know how many years it's going to happen. By that time, subhanAllah, how many sins this man has done? Why are, we, why are we upholding these type of completely useless cultural customs? We must break this because we are allowing people to fall into sin. And there's nothing greater than that. There's no greater problem than zina. So we have to make marriage easy. Comfortable, make it easy, don't make it complicated. Don't expect this much money, this much mahar, this much you know, dowry, this much jahaz, Allah forbid, that's haram, all of these things. Expecting the girl side has to give this much. All of those false expectations that we've put on upon marriage are making marriage much more difficult every day and making the easier option, which is the alternative zina, which, can, which is the easiest thing through now, apps and everything. Super easy. Who has caused that? We have. As a society, we have made marriage difficult. So this is a great thing we learn from this verse of the Qur'an. That we have to break cultural practices actively. We need to become agents of that. Prove it. That this is how we're going to do. And we're going to make what the Sharia says, that's going to become the new custom. And we all have to work, to work on that together. وَكَانَ أَمْرُ اللَّهِ قَدْرًا مَقْدُورًا For the command of Allah is a decree of predestiny that is ever fulfilled. This is a powerful verse, last one. That whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed, it must happen. So your life will take its course the way Allah planned it to be. You don't worry about that. You simply got to do what you got to do. You're trying to stay away from haram. You're trying to bring halal into your life. You make that effort. What Allah willed will happen. Must come to happen. If you're meant to marry someone, it will happen. The whole world cannot stop you. Some people say, I was about to get married and someone else got married to them. Now I'm in depression and sadness. I understand that. But you have to believe this. That what's meant to happen will happen. Not the whole world, wallahi, cannot steal away your bride from you or the groom from you. Or for that matter, anything else from you. What's meant for you will come your way. And this is where we'll inshallah end uh, today's um, tafsir. And ayah 38 will continue from 39. Next week. I want all of you to uh, uh, make this niyyah that tomorrow, next week inshallah, every one of you make niyyah on bringing someone who hasn't come to the masjid, who hasn't come for this dars. And then inshallah, ta'ala, those who are, who are still very far away, you start working them. Come up with a one-month plan. How are you going to slowly get to them with just a tea or a coffee or and then maybe a meal. And bit by bit, come up with a strategy. How are we going to get these people back to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And if Allah puts this love of the ummah in your heart and uses you, you are definitely a sign Allah loves you. Because only the people who Allah loves, Allah uses them like this. So I pray Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses your intellect, your sweet tongue, your abilities, your money, and, my, and, and the gifts that He's given myself and all of you for the betterment of deen, for bringing deen alive, for bringing people back to the masjid. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make all of us du'at, true du'at, true khuddam of deen. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to become a, a means of hope for those who are sinful. For ourselves, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us all to repent sincerely and to allow this dars to become a life-changing experience for all of us. Allow us to make tawbah in this gathering before we stand up. That Ya Allah, who repent to you from all major and minor sins. Those that we've done intentionally, those we've done unintentionally. Ya Allah, grant us the strength to be able to say no to sin. O oh Allah, grant us good company that will keep us motivated to do good deeds. Ya Allah, grant us the companionship of righteous ulama, righteous people. And grant us the, the, the companionship and the, the ability to stay in the masjid and regularly sit in the gatherings of ilm. O oh Allah, we ask you to grant Grant us the ability to make a sin repugnant towards ourselves, or make a sin repugnant to us. O oh Allah, grant us the love of, of good deeds, the love of iman. 
And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us husn al-khatima and, and a beautiful ending. Subhanallah, yuhamdi, subhanakallah, muhamdi, la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.